Good morning, Risen. The scripture reading for this morning is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan, for reading today's scripture passage to us. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with all of you again. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself and resting in the great love of Christ. Uh, if you're new to Risen, welcome. I'm Pastor Rich, and we're so glad to have you with us today. Right now, our church is actually going through a sermon series through our 2021 vision, Cultivate. And uh, the four buckets that this vision covers is cultivating spiritual growth, community, stewardship, and witness. And every Sunday, each sermon covers one of these four buckets, these four themes. And today's sermon falls under the theme of cultivating stewardship. You know, last Sunday, Harry uh, mentioned how a steward is someone who acts as an agent of another. And throughout the Bible, this teaching of stewardship is a very significant theme. It's a theme in the Bible. It's a theme in the Christian life. Therefore, to be a Christian is simply to be a follower of Christ, which means you act as his representative, an advocate of Christ. If you're a Christian, your entire life, your entire purpose and goals and dreams are governed by who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing, where he is, and where we're heading. While our passage today doesn't cover everything about stewardship, it does get to the heartbeat of stewardship. It gets to our motivation and our posture of Christian stewardship. And this heartbeat and, and this posture, as we'll see in this passage of stewardship, is what Jesus says is true greatness in the world. But before we start, we have three points. Uh, we're going to take a look at our passage from three different angles. The first is great ambition. The second is a greater purpose. And third, our greatest hope. You know, in Jesus' day, the nation of Israel was expecting an earthly savior king. They were under the rule of Rome. And so they were treated less than equal. They were looked down upon they experienced severe oppression and much suffering. Before Rome, Israel was subjugated by Greece. Before Greece, it was Persia. Before Persia, it was Babylon. 
At the time of our text, it's been 500 years since Israel was a sovereign nation. So you can imagine the historical pain and the angst and the expectation of the people of Israel. You know, under these circumstances, Jesus' disciples were absolutely convinced that he was the Savior King, the long-awaited Deliverer. Being with Jesus, the disciples witnessed the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, lepers cleansed, the deaf hearing, the dead raised up, and the poor not being neglected, but having good news preached to them. You see, Jesus had no army, but the disciples were convinced that he was going to rule as the Son of God. Some of them even carried around swords just in case. Now in our text, uh, in Mark chapter 9, we're towards the, the end of Mark's gospel, which means that we're towards the end of Jesus's life. So Jesus is trying to more clearly communicate to his disciples the nature of his kingdom, the nature of his kingship, how it's not one of abolishing nations or even enemies. It's a kingdom that supersedes earthly power and earthly glory and earthly comfort. You see, the kingdom of Christ is the supernatural power of his radical grace to create a new people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation into one family. But when Jesus tries to tell his disciples this, that he's going to die and rise after three days, the text tells us that they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. You know, I remember when Jen and I were dating and then we got engaged and, you know, we're so excited uh, to get married. Uh, we couldn't wait to finally be this great couple. But along the way, there would be couples that would tell us that marriage was going to be a lot of hard work. You know, one of my mentors uh, told us, Rich and Jen, one sinner plus one sinner doesn't equal a sinless marriage. There needs to be lots of forgiveness and compromise and sacrifice and perseverance involved throughout your marriage and every stage of it for two to become one. You know, I remember thinking when he was saying this to us, what, what is he talking about? And I was afraid to ask him about it. But I th and I thought to myself, you know, Jen and I, we're going to be fine. We're not going to have petty fights like other people do. Why is he being so negative? We're going to be great. Stop poo-pooing on our greatness. How foolish. <laughs> and in the same way, you know, the disciples have no idea of the kingdom Jesus is leading they're too busy daydreaming about their greatness when Jesus becomes king. But risen, this is all of us, isn't it? Being great is something we all want. We think if I just had great financial security, then I'd be comfortable. I'd have nothing to worry about. I'd finally, finally be happy. That's my promised land. Or if I had just a great spouse, that would make my life complete. I'd have the family I'm longing for. I would never feel lonely or depressed. Then I'd finally be happy. 
Church, there are so many things we wish our lives were better at. Great things that we wish we could have. Maybe, just maybe then we think, this would make our lives great. This would make me feel great. Now, none of these things are bad in themselves. Financial security, marriage, career, these are all blessings from God. There's no shame or sin in asking for these things or pursuing these things. Actually, greatness itself comes from God. God is the great creator of all the universe. God, in his greatness, allows us to experience his creative majesty in nature, from the rising and setting of the sun, you know, uh, to the drizzle of the rain and the details of the rainbow and the scientific bloom of the trees and the plants, the flowers in spring. God has called every single one of us to enter into his creation and to cultivate this world not only for ourselves to enjoy, but to also steward, to live in a way that God desires, with great love, great selflessness, great thoughtfulness, great purpose, great integrity. In other words, friends, God calls us to faithful stewardship in our work, in our family, among our relationships, in our lives. Friends, it's so easy to lose perspective in this journey, isn't it? Like the disciples, it's easy to hear about the kingdom of God, Jesus' costly love for the sins of the world, and to brush it off, and to move on with our life plans and projects. You know, comfort and self-focused gain can hijack all our thoughts and emotions and ambition, desires, and our grand purpose. It sure is a slippery slope where we begin to get enamored with the possibilities of not great stewardship, but instead, like the disciples, of our own greatness. But according to Jesus... When we do this, like the disciples, he wants to sit us down because we've reduced a great and worthy life to something less than what we were made for. And I love today's passage. It's, it's a famous passage. It's as if Jesus is saying, your ambition to be great is not great enough. Your ambition to be great is not big enough. It's not lofty enough. This brings us to our second point. Now, I love what Jesus does here. You know, when he hears his disciples talking about which one of them uh, is the greatest, our text tells us that Jesus sat down and he calls them over. You know, the disciples believe that Jesus is going to usher in an earthly, powerful, glorious kingdom. And so they're vying for power. They want to make sure when this happens that they're at the table and they're not missing out on anything. But Jesus sits down, he calls them over, and he says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. In my kingdom, if anyone would be first, 
He must be last of all and servant of all. You see, Risen, Jesus is trying to overturn uh, and change the disciples' way of thinking. He's trying to get through to them that his kingdom is radically different from all other kingdoms. And many who pursued to be first in the kingdoms of this world will be last in the kingdom of God. And many who are last in the kingdoms of this world will be the first in the kingdom of God. But what does this mean? Well, we see here that the heart of God's kingdom, the greatness of his kingdom, the glory of his kingdom is not one of material wealth, earthly glory, but one of spiritual wealth and spiritual glory. This is what the world needs. This is why Jesus came into the world and this is to be the mission of his disciples and the church. Now, maybe some of you are wondering, what is spiritual wealth? What is spiritual glory? What is spiritual greatness? Well, the Bible talks of spiritual wealth and spiritual glory encompassed in principles like sacrificial love and humble service over self-centeredness, humility over pride and generosity over greed compassion and forgiveness over bitterness and resentment. You see, these are the things that Jesus is telling us that are great in the eyes of God. These are the things that will greatly impact you in your life and bring joy and happiness into your relationships and into your family, into your marriage and your friends and even your enemies into the world. You know, several years ago, uh, I watched the documentary, um, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. And I was talking to someone this past week, and I asked him if he had seen this movie. Um, and he responded, that sounds like a hip-hop album. But no, it is not a hip-hop album. You can actually watch the documentary on Amazon Prime Video. For many of you who don't know who Jake the Snake Roberts is, he was a professional wrestler who wrestled in the 90s. And throughout Jake Roberts' life, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. It ruined his career. It ruined his family and his relationships. It even ruined his body. And at the beginning of the documentary, Jake is so broken that he can't even walk. But his mentee and good friend, Dallas Page, hears through the grapevine, through his friends, that Jake is struggling. So he reaches out to his once mentor and takes Jake into his home to restore him, to hold him accountable. And you can just tell throughout this film just how much uh, Dallas loves Jake and their friendship. And throughout the documentary, you see Jake make progress, but then fall off the horse. You see Jake get back up and make more progress, but then fall off the horse again. And his buddy Dallas is with him throughout all of this. There are times where Dallas would get so angry and get in Jake's face when Jake tries to lie to him. It's beautiful. It's accountability at its finest. 
And there are these moments in the documentary where Dallas sees Jake fall asleep with a glass of orange juice in his hands where there once was vodka. And you see Dallas shed tears and take in this beautifully sweet moment. And in this one personal interview with Dallas, when Jake has fallen off the horse again, Dallas is being interviewed in his private room. And he says one, what I believe to be one of the most profound lines in the documentary. Dallas says, if Jake can just keep fighting, if he doesn't give up, he can change lives. If Jake can just keep fighting, if he doesn't give up, he can change lives. Dallas doesn't say if Jake could keep fighting, he'll get his career back on track. He doesn't even say that he'll be more healthy. Dallas says Jake can change lives. He's not saying Jake can do these things to benefit himself. He's saying Jake can do these things in order that he can steward it so that he can serve others. You know, Dallas has put his life on hold to serve his friend. He has become last and servant of all. And throughout the documentary, you see the kind of toll it took on him physically and emotionally and financially. But Risen, this is what any kind of tangible, enduring love is. It's the journey and the commitment of looking away from ourselves towards the service and transformation of others. In the midst of his friend's personal crisis, Dallas has hope that Jake has yet to live his best season in life. Isn't that amazing? Jake was wealthy, he was powerful, he was famous, he was glorious. But what Dallas sees in the future for Jake is far greater than Jake's own greatness. It's the greatness to impact others with servant love in a metamorphic, life-changing and transformative way. It's beautiful. Dallas Page is touching upon spiritual greatness, spiritual glory. This brings us to the last point. You know, when I think about the spiritual principles and priorities that drove Dallas Page to live the way he lived, I can't help but wonder, that is exactly what Jesus has done for me. That is what, exactly what Jesus is doing for me. That is what he will continue to do for me until I am perfect, until I'm fully restored. That is the kind of servant love commitment that Jesus has for you and me. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is 
actually the perfect and ultimate display of spiritual greatness. You see, Jesus was in his heavenly throne with the Father and the Spirit, and they possessed perfect glory, perfect greatness. Jesus was the king of the entire universe. The Trinity didn't need to answer to anyone. They didn't need help from anyone. There was absolutely no one greater, no one more recognized, no one smarter, no one more powerful. I can't imagine that departure from heaven, that goodbye between Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. But he did it. Jesus gave it all up. All his comfort, all his wealth, all his glory. He even left his own family to come for us. Why would he do that? How could he do that? Well, because to the Holy Trinity, there was something greater than their own greatness. There was a greater purpose, a greater comfort, a greater wealth, a greater family than even their own. And that greatness, friends, is you and me. It's the Church of Christ. It's the lost. Everything Jesus had was nothing compared to having us. What greatness. What great love. You know, Jesus saw our brokenness. He saw our best efforts and the fear of death in our hearts. And he knew that we needed something greater. So out of his great sacrificial compassion, Jesus left his heavenly glory and he entered into the brokenness of our humanity. And he put everyone before him so that he can be the ultimate last and the ultimate servant of all. Risen Jesus knows you to the depths of your inner being. But he doesn't condemn you, nor does he shun you. Friends, his grace is greater. His greatness is greater than our sin. And Jesus doesn't just forgive us. There was a cost to him because alongside his great love, Jesus could, deny, could not deny the justice of his character. So Jesus bore the full weight of the sins of the entire world. And in this way, Jesus upholds perfect justice and perfect love. Risen, this is the greatness of Christ. It's his amazing sacrificial grace. Jesus was last and servant of all. But this made him beautifully first and great the greatest in the kingdom. You know, I think when we take moments to step away um, from ourselves and sort of uh, the kingdoms of this world and take a look at the big picture, the end game of our lives, the end game of our own greatness, our hopes and dreams and goals, I can't help but wonder that this is what Jesus gives us. 
This is what only Jesus can give to us. And when our heart is spiritually in tune with the spiritual greatness of Christ, that though he is first, he became last and servant of all to bring us into his greatness, a greater greatness, a greater kingdom, a greater glory. And friends, when our heart is rubbing against that greatness, will be changed. Like the disciples whose conversations were changed by Jesus' great grace and love and death for them, so too our conversations will change. Like the disciples, our greatness will look less like the world's and more like the greatness of Christ. And it will fill us with a greater joy a greater contentment, greater security, greater love and greater grace, greater purpose, greater life. Friends, the greatness of Jesus' grace will cultivate spiritual greatness in us. And it will be so attractive to those around us that there is a community that truly reflects the love and the heart and the greatness of Christ. Friends, this is true greatness. It's the greatness of Jesus' kingdom. Come and be changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that though you were first, you became last and the ultimate servant of all. And you have served this world. You have served us with your grace and your love, your compassion, your mercy, your power, with everything you had in eternal kingdom. And by faith in you, we have access to that. And we have something greater than anyone can attain. We thank you so much for that. And we forget that so much. So would you just impress that upon our hearts, upon this church, so that we would not forget that. Your mission as a servant, what is true glory and true greatness, and what is to be our mission to be servants to each other and in this world. And in that way, we will be truly great and people will see the greatness of Christ and your kingdom will grow and people will be saved and people will know the great king, the great savior, the great friend, the greatest older brother who has brought us into his family, into his kingdom. We thank you so much for this, Father. Would you grab a hold of our hearts, pour your spirit into us, continue to be changed, for you are the ultimate Dallas Page, and you are committed to us 24-7, and we consume your thoughts in your life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.